Okay, another cool episode of the Ortho Show podcast this week. We're going to pivot a little bit. We're bringing on our first MSK radiologist, the one and only Pamela Lund, who is an outstanding uh, MRI specialist uh, from Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, she has been in private practice for over 25 years, and she is literally like the radiologist to professional athletes. We talk about where MRI came from, the concepts, the way in which she uh, practices, uh, and the way in which she works exceptionally well with the orthopedic space, which is really you know, quite unique for most radiologists. So I know I enjoy the episode, and I think you will too. Dr. Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast. For everyone knows, we bring you the best of the best in orthopedics. And we are super excited today. We have Dr. Pamela Lund, who is our first ortho show radiologist, who's going to join us today. Uh, she is exceptionally well known within musculoskeletal space for radiology readings. She uh, is the director of musculoskeletal imaging at Simon Med in Scottsdale, Arizona. And she's consulting for just about every pro sports team out there. We got to meet each other in Hawaii and just loved your presentation. So I figured, Pam, we're going to share your 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 image and who you are with the world and explain all about musculoskeletal imaging. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Um, it's my honor and pleasure to be here uh, among your very esteemed guests that I know you have had on. So um, I hope to uh, tell you something useful and uh, something interesting. So. Uh, we're going to entertain and educate today for sure. First and foremost, we want to thank you for leaving your radiologic underground lair where you go in that dark area so you can join us out here in the light and be able to share your wisdom with us. So thank you so much. Well, that's my cave. So I've discovered the, as you age, the secret is favorable lighting. So as radiologists, we're like, you know, it's perfect. So <laughs> I love it. The, the radiological cave. I love it. Love it. All right. So we always start at the beginning here. We want to know uh, sort of where you were born and sort of where did you have parents that were doctors? Where did medicine come from? And then eventually, you know, why radiology, which is a unique specialty in medicine? Okay. Well, um, unlike a lot of people I've discovered when I got into this business, I had a very circuitous route to um, what I'm doing today. So I had absolutely no one in my family was in medicine. Um, I grew up in a small town, Illinois, all farming community. And my parents were both teachers um, in the town. I had both of them in high school and eighth grade. So our class was 90 people, very small community. Um, and, um, you know, there were two options when you're a girl in my age group at, at that time was either nurse or teacher. So when I uh, did all my schooling and so forth, I was planning to go to college and be a teacher um, or a veterinarian. I had that in the back of my mind. So I just I just um, came into college and and all of a sudden I discovered this thing called science, which I didn't even take that much science in high school because of um, it just wasn't really that available. So I got into chemistry, ended up being a chemistry bio major, um, uh, tutored chemistry and um, 
did a lot of working in the laboratory, hospital uh, laboratory there, and uh, graduated in three years, which was good because finances were always a concern. Um, and then uh, got into University of Illinois and um, was very interested in surgical subspecialties and um, had a really an interesting radiology um, elective with a very, um, uh, a, a really uh, charismatic uh, radiologist, if, if that isn't an oxymoron. <laughs> but anyway, he really instilled this interest of how radiologists think and how we got to see, we get to see all of the cool cases. We get to solve a lot of puzzles. Um, and I just thought it, like, this is really the way my mind likes to work, images and puzzles. So that's kind of how I got um, into the into the radiology business. I did a couple of years in internal medicine um, at the you know the county hospitals in Chicago. The trauma um, did all of that, and then uh, ended up in radiology residency in Chicago. So, so you spent your your entire adult life basically in Illinois. I, I grew up when I grew up. My father was a chemical engineer. Uh, so we spent six months in Decatur, Illinois, which is funny because Sarah Edwards, I don't know if you know Sarah, but she's an orthopedic surgeon in San Francisco. I guess our fathers basically worked together at the same time. Very bizarre story. But yeah, we lasted six months. My mother was a Jewish woman from New York, and she went screaming and running out of Decatur after six months. But, uh, you know, interesting that you spend most of your, your all of your adult life, and then you hop on a plane, you go to Arizona, where you're going to set up shop for radiology. So how was it just, the you know, what was the draw to Arizona? How was that a decision? It was a big decision, a big change for you, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, um, my brother, he was the pioneer and moved out to Arizona initially. But during my residency, um, you may not be aware that radiologists, I think they still do this today, go to the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology in Washington, D.C. for um, for a month um, rotation. Um, and I met a gal there who was from Arizona. I was already looking to move to the Southwest because, well, you spent some time in Decatur, so you know how the weather is there. And it's <laughs> It's not really um, a, no. you know, favorable. So I was <laughs> Definitely thinking, not Arizona, that's for sure. <laughs> I was already thinking that direction, and, and we became very good friends. She said, hey, why don't you come out and look at this job? We've got a great opening um, in Arizona. And um, uh, when I come to find out, when I went out there, that opening was being the director of radiology at the Tucson VA and being the only staff position taking running the hospital with five radiology residents. So that was my first job. And somehow That's I, awesome. Yeah. Did I say yes? I would probably so, sink or swim, right? You got to just jump in there and get it going. Crazy. We we did interventional. We we did um, we did all the procedures and so forth. So it was a really um, a good experience. Um, at the time, I started working with Michael Pitt, um, who was um, uh, since went to Birmingham and is retired. And then the University of Arizona um, orthopedist uh, at that time were Bob Voles, Leonard Peltier. These are names from the past, but um, all a very um, very influential and became my mentors and kind of got me interested in the orthopedic um, portion of radiology um, through the conferences and all their teaching there. So that's how I moved over um, from being a body imager mainly, um, even though I had an MRI fellowship, moved over more into that orthopedic world um, for about um, 10 years when I, uh, the 10 years that I was at University of Arizona. So Yeah, no, that's awesome because I mean, for, you know, for the listeners, most of the time, the relationship between a radiologist and an orthopedic surgeon is with the piece of paper. Uh, you know, it comes down to the report that comes through. 
we always, you know, we always joke around, you know, where's the piece? I never look at a report. You know, I always go to the image, read my own image, get my own impression first, and then read the MRI report. But most of the time, at least in my career early on, and we're contemporaries, the concept of an MSK radiologist was a very rare breed. You know, it was either hospital-based, there wasn't even a lot of private practice radiology. It really was a hospital-based sort of phenomenon. And you have to remember, right, uh, there was no digital x-ray back in the day. I mean, you literally had to put the films up on the board. And I'll remember like, you know, being on call and going in the next day to identify the hip fracture that came in and having to scurry around in the x-ray file room to find a film so I could figure it out. Nowadays, we just sit home on our computer and we check it out. It's a lot easier. The resident that could steal the most films uh, was always the winner, right? Because you could never find them in that film room. And and you then you had your I had impingement from hanging all those cases. But yeah, it was a very it was a very different world, both logistically, but also what we did was so different. I mean, when I I grew up in this transition, and I think some of my um, perceived success is that I was in the right place at the right time. But I learned all that arthritis and tumors and dysplasias and, um, and you know, osteonecrosis, you know, Don Resnick, the father of uh, radiology, it, it, who is still practicing today um, um, and is also one of my mentors, really delved into all of those conditions, which I think is a little bit of a lost art. When, when I look at some of the x-ray reports I see now, I'm like, I don't know if these kids really learn that that much anymore. And then it all evolved into MRI. And I remember sitting in the MRI conference um, or, the, or the orthopedic conferences. And they were all talking about their McMurray and 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 I was sitting back at the time because we just got in you know our, our MRI in place. I said, why don't we just look at it and see <laughs> see if it's torn and, instead of so it did take a while. At first, it was just neuro neurosurgery where MRI was going to be useful. It's never going to be useful in orthopedics. So I've seen the whole thing come full circle, and um, it's just becoming more and more fun, really. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's like I can't even imagine the days of of trying to figure out what's wrong with people without having MRI available. It is one of the most valuable diagnostic tools that we use within the orthopedic space. And, you know, I started my residency in 91 or something like that, you know, and MRIs were few and far between at that point. It was in its infancy. Uh, and so to get an MRI was like, you know, a huge deal, you know, and then we were learning as we were going. But nowadays it's like MRIs are like McDonald's, right? You can get one the same day, next day, you know, you're not happy with this book, go get another one. But it really is an amazing tool that's really made us that much better. Yeah. Our first MRI at Michael Rezos, I I'm started in, uh, well, I started in 85 to 88, 80, that, that, time frame. So we got our MRI. It was offsite then because, you know, the shielding, the hospitals had no idea what to do with all this shielding and where we're going to build it. And it's heavy. So it was offsite down the road, um, um, not too far uh, away from Cook County and University of Chicago. And the first day I was in there, um, a couple of guys came in and ripped our TV off and left. And so they called me go, Dr. Linden, someone just stole our TV. So, so yeah, everything was, it was brand new. We were in that scanner all day long and we protocoled every case individually, calling the doctors saying, trying to figure out what they were looking for because there weren't really any protocols at the time. We were just making them up as we went along. So it was, it was truly a learning experience from the ground up for me. It, you know, and it's funny what they first, you remember when they, it was the new NMR, the nuclear magnetic residence machine, 
Like who was the genius that came up with that brand, right? Nobody's going to get into the nuclear magnetic machine to go get tested, right? So they had to come up with a new name, magnetic resonance imaging. You know, for our listeners, because my mother Judy's listening, we always like to try and break it down. Just do us a favor. Just give a basic explanation of how an MRI works. What is it doing to the body, which gives these absolutely beautiful images that allow us to see inside to be able to make these diagnoses? Yeah, um, so basically, um, the first thing to know is that we're not using X-ray energy. We're using a different type of um, energy. Um, and uh, we're, we're basically imaging the hydrogen protons in the body. Now, you can image other substances like sodium and phosphorus, but for clinical MRI, we're just looking at your hydrogens. And as you know, we're made up of you know, we're 90% water, so we got a lot of hydrogens and fats got a lot of hydrogens. So what MRI does, and um, and this dates back all the way to spectroscopy, and I don't know if you remember in chemistry, we'd, we would do spectroscopy to look at chemicals. Well, we're, just, we're doing it on a grander scale. So when we put the patient in this strong magnetic field, which is always on, and that's why they screen you for metal, uh, metal uh, things that might harm you before you go in there, um, all of your hydrogen protons align in a nice straight line. And so we do some little counter pulses to flip them back and forth. And then we, once we flip them, we listen and we listen for the signal, we collect data, and then we make it into a picture. So without going into huge physics detail, the hydrogens um, on the water, as you remember from chemistry, they have a weak bond, non-covalent hydrophilic bonding with their neighbors. So they don't flip as easily. They're kind of like stuck there. But the fat molecules, remember the fat molecule with all the hydrogen just sticking out, they flip pretty easily. So that's how we basically get fluid and fat sensitive sequences by looking at the differences and how those things spin and how they flip back and forth. So that's the very basics of it. And we've gone into a lot more. Um, there's just a, a lot more detail now with our, our the uh, sequences that we use, a lot of tricks we use. We cheat physics a lot now, which is very hard. But um, that's the basics of how we make an image. So. Perfect. Wonderful explanation. You know, and it's funny for, you know, for like 20 years, I don't know, like technology and medicine was just like, Okay, it wasn't really fascinating, you know. It's like, you know, we've got Chat GBT, we've got cell phones, we got all these crazy things that are in our personal life, and yet the technology and medicine really—it's really been the last five to ten years that things have really sort of accelerated in my mind and really taken off. Have you seen that with an MRI imaging? There's going to be some 3D MRIs where now you can see a perspective of the of the body from a 3D perspective. Is a lot of that coming down the pipeline? Yeah, we're, I think we're really at a tipping point in MRI for a couple of reasons. Um, so both on the hardware side and then the software computer side. So the main thing that's happened recently is that the scans have gotten faster. The gradients are faster and stronger. So we can get a lot better signal quicker. So what does that mean? It means that we can start to think about doing dynamic looks at things. And by dynamic in MRI, I mean like, you know, one second, not microseconds and analyzing a, a picture's throw. But for, you know, for instance, I, I'm working on a little bit of that with the elbow, stressing the elbow. In the past, we never could stress the elbow because a patient could never hold it there that long. I've done a couple of views where I'm stressing the ACL and the PCL because we it only takes about a minute 
once you put that stress on, we just do that scan and we can even do breath hold scanning. So that's a huge thing. And then of course, AI and machine learning, that of course is huge in our specialty on both the reading side and also the technology side, so. Yeah, it's interesting. So again, for the listeners, we think of when you go into an MRI, you sit there and you lay there and I actually can take a nap. I guess most people can't. You get that clunky thing going on. You're just staying there like this, right? But now with the idea and the concept is, especially for athletes that may have instability to their elbow joint, or there may be some funky ligament thing that you're worried or concerned about. Now you do a dynamic study where you can see some motion and movement and see how that ligament is behaving. I think that's super cool and fascinating. So so it's interesting. You and I met at Orthopedics Today in Hawaii, You know Tony Romeo's course, and, uh, you know, it was fascinating because you were one of the few, you know, radiologists that sort of gets up there and it's, you're like EF Hutton when it comes to, you know, this type of stuff, like everybody's listening, everybody drops what they're doing. Pam's getting up there and she's going to run through some MRIs. We're going to look at some really cool stuff. We're going to try and identify and study. And I guess the, the it's really fascinating that you have tremendous respect amongst the orthopedic community community. And, and that obviously took time for you to develop over time. And did, was it just becoming a, did it become a passion? Did you enjoy it? That camaraderie, you know, with professional athletes and with orthopedics, how did that develop? Well, I think um, it, it's kind of um, multifaceted. The, the one thing I noticed in radiology, particularly in musculoskeletal orthopedics, when I looked at the older reports and stuff, it was, it was just so frustrating. You, you know, you, you have a patient with a knee dislocation and the first line of the report is there's, there are no destructive bone lesions. And I mean, it, it, it was very frustrating. And so my old mentor at University of Arizona was one of the first people that said, hey, put number one, displaced meniscal tear, period, and just go number two, the next most important. So, um, you know, that was a passion of mine. We could be, we can be better. I mean, we have all these smart people looking at image, smarter than me, looking at images and doing all this fancy, um, you know, technical work. And then the, the report is just so frustrating for, so I tried to think like an orthopedic surgeon, because I think it's a very, it's very interesting. If we can work together, we can get a better, um, I mean, we can get more for the patient. It's really about the patient, you know, and, and when you give reports that aren't that helpful or you don't give, um, um, you know, recommendations about further imaging. A lot of times we're not on the same page. And I see that when I go back and forth between radiology and ortho meetings. I wish we had more of that, um, you know, of that of that camaraderie where we got together because it, it is so helpful. So that was one thing that really um, was was a passion of mine. Um, and then and also um, give the orthopedic surgeon something they can use. That's how I developed one reason I developed the stress view of the elbow was um, all these years of looking at these elbows in pictures. You know, we tried to dissect how much signals there. We tried to look at, um, you know, intrinsically, is it wavy? Why don't we just see how strong it is? And it, I knew there was a way we could do it. So it, it was kind of like, just give me something I can use. So those are my passions when I, when I, you know, wanted to go into the specialty. And I think it's just fascinating to work with all the mechanics of the upper, the thrower's arm and all of that. It, it really, um, it, it's really been fun for me and uh, it continues to be. I mean, that's awesome. Just so to sum it up, I mean, I love the concept of giving an orthopedic surgeon into you know, what he needs in the report, right? Focus on this guy, you know, we write it on like, 
question of ACL tear, meniscal tear, and then you go through and there's these three-page report, it all comes in paragraphs, and you go down to the bottom to try and figure out what they what they finally said. So reports that orthopedic surgeons can understand, recommending potential further imaging is needed. Think like an orthopedic surgeon and give them something that they can use. And I think that's clearly, you know, a very unique perspective when it comes to, to this type of thing. So how did um how did you get into the world of professional sports consulting? Because that's, you know, it's not easy to get into. Obviously, you're one of the most respected MSK, MRI radiologists in the country at this point. So how did that, where did the crossover come? Where did it, where did you get your first job? And then did, how did it grow from there? Well, um, when I moved from the, um, the university practice to private practice, um, that was in 1998. So I'd been 10 years at the university. I just got in tenure and, um, and the dean said, oh, so you're leaving us. You just got tenure. I said, well, I just, it just has been enough. And I wanted to do something private practice. So I, I studied, I went with this group in uh, Phoenix, uh, the Good Samaritan St. Joe's group. And they were covering, um, one of my former residents actually was covering the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks at that time. And, and some of the spring training teams, I, I came on board and um, and just because I have my experience, et cetera, I was um, one of the radiologists that read for them. And so, again, I think a lot of it's right place, right time. If you remember back in 1998, 2000, there weren't really any orthopedic MRI um, practitioners. So I, I actually had a unique experience in that I had been in the orthopedic conference, had done a lot of sports, and then I had the MRI. And now I had a, the opportunity to practice it with the teams. And I, I think it really caught on. And, you know, and, and I, I get a lot of residents say, how did you get this job? How do I get this job? I say, you have to make your own job sometimes. Sometimes you just, you know, I didn't know I was going to do this, but it's it's how it all fell into place. So so now, you know, 25 years later, um, I've seen a lot, a lot of things change. Um, um, the, the practice is still fundamentally the same and your availability, you've got to be um, you know, you, you need to be know what you're doing. You need to um, have a little bit of patience. Um, it's it is challenging, but it's changing. But I've loved you know every minute of taking care of the sports team. And I, I'm sure a lot of it has to be agent driven as well. Do you do you get consultations from agents for these top end athletes outside of the teams that you care for? Or you must, and I'm sure you must be available. Right. You, you know, whether it's the cell phone, the email, but, you know, when when A-Rod hurts his knee, you know, everybody wants to know when's it going to be ready? Is it going to be ready yesterday? So you have to be available. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's challenging um, in that way. But um, uh, I don't know. It, it really the availability part is, you know, it's a big piece of the puzzle, but when you, when it's fun for you every day, it really isn't, um, it really doesn't turn out to be, to be work. So um, I do bring in some more colleagues now since I have the Cactus League and then all this, all the Phoenix teams, um, which kind of, you know, there, there are, their seasons never, there's never a break because the seasons always just go on at football, baseball, et cetera, <laughs> keeps going. And then uh, we have the MLB uh, combine coming to Phoenix this month. So that will be a big um, group of people also, but um, it takes a village. It takes really good staff and really good colleagues to, um, to accomplish um, and to put out a good product for these, for these players. And it's a big deal, right? I mean, you're at the NFL combine, you're at the MLB combine and, you know, a lot of these kids have had injuries. They've had previous surgery before they're coming in and they're relying upon, you know, the teams 
are relying upon your opinion. You know, it, did this ACL work, right? Is there arthritis in this kid's knee? You know, is he okay? But then the decisions that you make affect the players as well. And so it's a true balance of trying to make sure medical, of having the appropriate ethics to make sure you're you're giving, you know, appropriate opinions and really caring for both sides, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. They, well, they, of course they're never normal, especially the thrower, the throwing athletes. I always tell my, um, when I'm giving lectures and I say, if you see a, a shoulder that looks normal or an elbow that looks normal, you better check that you did the right elbow, the correct throwing. <laughs> you better check you have the right check you have the right patient and the and if it's a position or or a pitcher because they're never normal. It's, the battle is to sort out what's abnormal, what's the pain generator, obviously, and what's the adaptive change. And um, I, as you see more and more, you get better, but you're never perfect. It's it's always an imperfect uh, science. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we we rely upon these reports, but still, when we operate, it's the same way. I mean, you know, you have to go in, you take a look, you, you have an understanding, it's there, maybe it is, maybe it's something else. But And do you get, uh, do you have uh, information back from the surgeons after the, do you have that communication so that you can really try and hone your skills to be able to make sure you're giving, you know, even better reports? Yes, yes. I I mean, I have a, a very good relationship with the with the uh, team team doctors for these teams. Um, our Cardinals doctor, Dr. Wazlewski, was actually a resident when I was a junior faculty at U of A. So we go way back. And, um, and oh, I always get feedback. Um, I, I had one particular surgeon years ago. I remember he would, and this was before he, they could just email me. The, they, he would send me big stacks of scope and I would get in the mail and I'd go, oh no. And of course, it was another <laughs> slap tear, which at the time, I think I was missing the slap tear because we had a different concept of what constituted yeah. anyway. So I get a lot of feedback and it, and it, I mean, that's invaluable, really. It really is. Yeah, we've all learned together, right? I mean, slap tears, when we first started, you know, that was one of the things that we could identify, right? It was it was a nail. We had a hammer. Uh, you know, I did my fellowship at Curl and Job. So we were, you know, at the earliest infancy in 95, 96 when we were doing these procedures. And we've come a long way in, you know, identifying, as you said, the things that are creating the pain uh, and whether or not the treatments that we're doing are making patients worse rather right. than making them better. And so this this sort of a team approach, I think, is is truly outstanding. Now, is is uh, is your relationship and the work that you do with these professional teams is it is through workers comp as well is that uh, how you're sort of compensated for your time i'm curious i'm completely separate so you know i i guess i was never interested in doing an independent an independent billing type thing um i am an independent contractor but i've worked with simon med imaging exclusively since well, actually, he started in 2003, and he used to sit, curry me. Or I would get the films couriered to me to read. But um, we started with two centers. Now we have 170 uh, over 12 states or so. But um, I just, I just keep my billing through that single party, and you know, it's very easy, and I don't have to worry about all of the fluctuations and the, and the headaches of. Yeah, that, that, that's right. By the way, I got to throw out a shout out about my my dear friend Eamon Ferry. You must know Eamon as yep. well. He's a dear friend of mine. He's in, we we hang out all the time. I think we're going to Egypt next month. But uh, he's uh, is an outstanding sports medicine orthopedic surgeon in Scottsdale. So I'm sure you work with him on a regular yep. basis as he's well. He's an ASMC, great surgeon. Um, also takes care of some of the team. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So so one of the other things, you know, it's interesting, and I'm sure you pay attention to to all of this. There was just a really major 
sort of NFL malpractice case that came through that was really, you know, quite devastating for all of us that take care of, you know, high-end athletes. This was a, a patient that had been treated and we don't have to use names. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, you know, he, he won like a $45 million medical malpractice suit because a meniscus was supposedly sort of missed. You know, what are your concerns as you're reading these, you know, these images and as far as your concern for malpractice and how that might affect you personally? Or professionally? Yeah, I've thought about it over the years. And um, well, the one key you can do is not accumulate any wealth. So that's, that's <laughs> we'll come after you. <laughs> but then that's not a great alternative. But I mean, I remember back in the day raising my malpractice limits. And then an attorney said to me, you know, well, wait a minute, who do you think they're going to sue is the person with the 5 million, 10 million uh, policy or the 1 million, 3 million. So I thought, well, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting. And I know what I do um, has some liability. I'm not, I don't think probably the same as orthopedics, but could, you know, on a given day, it could be very similar. And, you know, I couldn't start to pay off that, that award. I mean, that was very devastating. I don't know all the details. I just know the superficial details. I think it, you know, it, it actually gets your attention um, but, you know, I don't know other than to just have your trust in place and your umbrella insurance that what else, um, you know, you can really do about it. I mean, you can't you can't practice in fear and overcall things and and um, and, and order too many imaging studies. That's not going to be helpful to, to anyone. So, yeah, no, people want your professional opinion. You've been doing this for 25 years and, you you know, you look at an image and you give your best opinion. And as you said, more often than not, it's going to be right. You're going to give, you know, great advice. And every once in a while, and maybe a little off but that's the way life is it just uh there's no such thing as the pursuit of perfection it's just it's just not possible listen pam this was this is fantastic you know when i saw you up on the podium in in, in uh Kauai and just how everyone was uh, so interested in all of the facts and the and the the images that you had and you just the camaraderie that you have within the orthopedic space is truly outstanding it's really you know just a pleasure to have spent some time with you today and really gone over a lot of things that I think are super important for us as well as for our listeners as well. Thank you, Scott. I really enjoyed it. Well, I look forward to seeing you again soon. I'm sure I've actually, I'm coming to Maui. Are you going to go head back to Maui again? I'm sure you'll be there. Of I'll course there. you will. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Tony always puts on a great show. Thank you again. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the ortho show. Till next time.